Hello. I had the pleasure of sitting down to talk with BAFTA and Emmy-nominated director Jeremy Webb. He's worked on episodes of shows such as The Umbrella Academy, Altered Carbon, Legion, Fear the Walking Dead, and The Punisher, to name but a few. He was nominated for an Emmy thanks to his work on Downton Abbey, and specifically the episode that dealt with the death of Lady Sybil. He was nominated for a BAFTA for his work on the legal drama Silk and the BBC series Merlin, where he was the main director for three seasons. However, in our chats with Jeremy, we spoke mostly about his time working on the hit Netflix series Shadow and Bone, as well as his career, his favourite directors, and what he's working on next. I hope you enjoy our chat with Jeremy, and without any further ado, here it is. Well, first off, hi, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm now, what, day, uh, um, uh, what am I now, day 10? Yeah, no, I think I've yeah. got two more days of quarantine. They're going to mm. let me out on Thursday. Oh, good, good. And that's in Canada, right? You're, you're, quarantined, I mean, you're held I'm, up I'm, in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before I wanted, what, before we start about Shadow and Bone, which is really what we're going to be talking about quite yeah. a lot, because that's the latest thing you've done, uh, I'd really love to talk about basically your influences and what really made you want to become a director. Those were the things I was really interested to know about. Um, I started, you've seen Super 8, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was kind of me when I was 13. Uh, my... Um, my dad was a quite a big movie fan and uh, and was always very excited about showing me you know sort of classic films you know oft, a lot of them are sort of often quite a lot about you know world war 2 and and um and epics such as like Lawrence of Arabia and Sunday afternoons were, were big oh this film is on and also around christmas he would be going through the radio times you know yeah. highlighting classic films that we should definitely see and he got very excited about them i guess that was infectious um, and also, you know, we went to the theatre quite a lot. And then uh, my grandparents were very keen, um, Super 8 movie makers, and they would um, shoot all their travels uh, on Super 8 and cut them together with music and voiceover and sometimes little animated pens and cars showing the route that they went. You know, <laughs> with, my, with my grandma doing this sort of wonderful voiceover sounding a lot like the Queen a lot of the time. Um, and, and I think those two influences came together and I started playing around with um, with a Super 8 camera and, and then and then I just I, I was my influence and then obviously the late 70s Star Wars came out and I you know that had a, a massive effect on me in terms of how that was made and I, I couldn't find yeah. that, that, I, I couldn't I just didn't think there was anything more exciting than than figuring out how they made Star Wars and I guess it grew from there so I'm very much my interest very much started in in genre and uh, fantasy and science fiction and and um and, and those sort of fantasy worlds and, and grew from there, I guess. Yeah. And was it always, was it always director? Was that always the thing you wanted to be? Or was there anything else in the film world you had an interest in? Yeah. I, mean, I guess I was very keen to be in front of the camera. Uh, and that, that was the initial, <laughs> I think that was the, that was the initial sort of thrust of it really. I, I was, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the train set of all the other things like the makeup and the figuring out lenses and stuff, but also yeah. it was very, I was very sort of busy in youth theater as well and did a lot of plays and, a lot of musicals and stuff like that. And, and actually when I left school, I mean, what I did, I did theater studies, film studies, English and art. And then I, um, you know, did, did those additions at, uh, at kind of RADA and Weber Douglas and, and, and Central and those famous colleges uh, after I finished my A-levels and I, uh, 
uh, I really wasn't very good. So surprise, surprise, I didn't get in. But um, <laughs> that, was pretty, that, that was the plan was to go to drama school. Um, yeah. So then I, I, yeah, I just didn't end up, uh, I, I ended up just going on the, eventually going on the other side of the camera. And, um, and then, and then I think I was, I was a PA in a production company for a while and, and then managed to uh, get some money together to make a short hmm. um, and, uh, and applied to the National Film School. Um, so at, at Beaconsfield, so I, I was able to get a place on that somehow managed to get a place on the director's course though. And um, what, so for, from, from there you went in, the, when looking at the start of your career, it was a lot of um, working on BBC productions. So for instance, you yeah. worked on Doctor Who and you worked on Merlin as well. What, what was it, what, what do you think you learned from working on those shows in particular that then kind of helped you work to where you are now working for Netflix or with Netflix? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, you're just constantly honing your craft, really, aren't you? I mean, I think you just understand the uh, the importance of planning, you know, having a vision for a script, and then having, you know, you know, and having the right resources and understanding how to plan it, and 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 how to how to sort of make it as good as you can within the time that they're going to give you. Mm. And um, <laughs> the trouble is, when you're working on those shows, you kind of go. Oh yeah! If, if, if only we, I could work on one of those big American shows where they have all the time and the money in the world, and then you finally get to those big American shows, and they do have more time and more or more money. Mm. But the scale of what you're being asked to achieve is is sort of feature film standard. So you're back to the same problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's and, the, and the, the, yeah. Sorry, Ed. Go ahead. No, I just noticed um, you're starting to share a lot more stuff of uh, the behind-the-scenes stuff on uh, on Instagram now, which is really good. I've been waiting for you to do that for quite some time, and uh, it really you can really just see the scale. Find, finding <laughs> I thought, oh, I could do that. Maybe I'll put a couple of things up. And obviously, you know, the, all those shows have gone out now, and and uh, yeah. always the the Netflix um, thing is is shoot them when they're happening, but save it until after the the premiere after yeah. the after the shows have gone out. So there were, yeah. it was just a, you know, I, I'm, I'm very, very busy obviously on the set. So I don't spend a lot of time gathering that stuff really. Um, uh, unlike the actors who have more time than me. Um, but there's, there was just a couple of little nuggets there. I thought that uh, people should see. The explosion is brilliant. That's, that's, that's a brilliant one. And um, I'm, oh, it's just, it's great to see behind the scenes stuff on, on those shows in particular, because it looks like it was Shadow and Bone looks like it was a really good fun, like fun time on set, as does the Umbrella Academy, which is the other show uh, you directed uh, recently. So season two. Um, what what was it about Shadow and Bone that really attracted you to it, to the story and and, and, and the show yeah. in particular? What was it? Um, well, a, a number of things. Um, I I was I was in Budapest and. Um, I'd worked with a, a writer-producer, uh, Christian Boland, on The Punisher, uh, who's married to um, Eric Heisserer. Mm. And um, I, I met them because he was starting to put the show together in Budapest when I was shooting Treadstone, so we met for dinner. And, uh, you know, because I had a relationship, um, a working relationship, uh, working alongside his wife uh, for Marvel and Netflix, yeah, it was clear that perhaps I, I might end up being involved in it in some capacity. But we, you know, we were we were we were we were sort of uh, talking gently about it, about the show, and I was beginning to understand it. And then towards the end of the year, suddenly the script sort of arrived when I was um, dealing with the snow of the Umbrella Academy, 
Because yeah. I don't know whether you realize in that finale that we did for season two, um, the snow that's in that finale was a complete accident. That wasn't the plan. <laughs> uh, we had to find it worked, it worked very well. <laughs> yeah, it was great. We we we, uh, we were just we got caught by the Toronto winter. It came earlier than we thought. Yeah. We had this big dump of snow, and we had to figure out a way to write it into the script. So we just made it part of Harlan's powers, and I think it was yeah. it was a lovely accident. Anyway, so I was dealing with that, and the, and then these scripts came in with a meeting to chat with Eric again and the producers at um, Twenty One Laps, and. Um, I read it, and what appealed to me was uh, this is a story about a an underdog female sort of soldier map maker in a sort of, yeah. and and I and I think that was the first thing that I I thought um, was really exciting about it. I mean, I'd, I'd read you know I'd read a little bit about what these what Lee Bardugo's uh, books were, but in the, in its script form, I really sort of got a sense of her, and and as her powers awaken, I I, I really kind of held on to that probably more than. The stuff that's happening with the crows, to be honest, I really yeah. latched onto her story, and felt that um, that she she seemed really interesting and she was really well written, and I liked her relationship with Mal. I also love the world, and it's a world that uh, Eric often calls a sort of czar punk. Yeah, you know, which I I really liked as well because you know so many fantasy worlds are are in a sort of British medieval kind of thing that we've seen so many times you know but uh, this one I, I thought I hadn't seen yeah and it's, it's true because whilst watching it I was thinking this is like a real mixture of kind of science fiction and period drama almost a lot a lot of it is uh, it, the way it looks is kind of that and it's kind of there's a lot of site yeah punk is right kind of cyberpunk stuff going on with uh, with the machinery and things like that and it's just to look at it's an incredible show to look at yeah and, um, you know, they, they did a great job I mean um uh, Lee, who was the pilot director, you know, I think I was reading an interview with him uh, or, or watching an interview with him, and, and I think he was really inspired by the um, the world of of or how they kind of approach Gladiator, where the, the the detail across all the different departments was was really well thought through and cohesive, um, yeah. even though it sort of borrowed from other influences, and I, and you can really see that in um, in the show. I think they did an extraordinary job of world building in that in that first episode um and you you really seem to have like i don't know maybe it's something about your career maybe it's just something you're drawn to you like if you look at your resumes i mean with shadow and bone specifically shadow and bone and the umbrella academy you often end up directing the finales does yeah. that add any pressure because that's like i mean shadow and bone i mean i don't want to spoil anything but it does end on a bit of a cliffhanger and uh, d does that add any pressure for you personally, having to work on what you know is going to be the end of said season? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, and also, to be honest, often when you get to the finale, uh, on some shows, they've spent all the money <laughs> and, uh, and uh, all that, that bit that was being reserved for the, uh, for the finale isn't as much as you would have hoped and, and everyone's tired, <laughs> you know? And um, and uh, sometimes the cast perhaps you know haven't had the best experience. That wasn't the case on Shadow and Burn. I have to say, um, I came into an extremely organised production with um, you know with a cast that were still really pleased to be there and excited to sort of finish off the story. Um, so that helps that you're not coming into one of those situations. And it's a, it's a brilliant cast, I have to say. Like, is, is, was there any was there any involvement on your end for the casting? 
Uh, we, I mean, when you come in to do episodes, you're very much uh, only responsible for the for new characters that arrive in your episodes. Um, so that was all figured out in an extremely kind of in-depth process when they when they figured out the pilot. Um, and uh, and and you know, really diverse, really interesting, and super talented. You know, they were um, and and a, and a very kind of pleasant and fun and um, you know an, an excitable bunch. Um, yeah, it was really good to. Um, so it was. I mean, I'd, I'd heard that they were great, and and then I uh, obviously saw in a, uh, you know um, the pilot when it was assembled, and uh, um, yeah, it was it was fantastic just to you know see them all really delivering. And so, how early on were you involved in this project? You were talking before about things kind of happening relatively early. Was it was it at the beginning, or did you kind of come into it? More towards like yeah, well, I knew it was going on, and and um, that uh, that I was going to be in the mix for it. Um, but uh, yeah, it was you know, as I said, it was it was that winter when I was um, that's just before Christmas of where are we? Um, yeah, 2019 when I was up in, yeah. in Toronto doing the Umbrella Academy. Um, that's the first time I read the scripts, but I you know I, I knew they were down there, I knew it was happening. I, yeah. I guess, um, you know, I was just hoping that I would get the call for it because I, I knew I was in the mix and I was, uh, um, you know, uh, on the list to be invited. I was just waiting to find out whether that would deliver, which is often the case in this business sometimes. Yeah, because um, you you told me about it, I think last time you spoke, spoke, you told me that, you know, look out for Shadow and Bone. And uh, I hadn't I hadn't heard about that, about the books before. So then I went and I read the first, it's a trilogy isn't it? So I read the first in the trilogy by, I hope I pronounced the name right, Lee uh, Bardigo. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So how, how closely did you work with, with Lee? Again, um, uh, you know, obviously she's an executive producer on the show and, yeah. and, uh, and, and wrote the novels. Um, so really the pilot director had the most to do with her. Um, I did get a chance to meet her and she was on set for the finale, which was great. So uh, I, we we did um, we did chat, but um, I think all the hard work had been done by then in terms of really figuring out, you know, and and, and how to to put the two uh, tr books together, you know, the yeah. crows books and um, and and Malin and Lena's story. So a lot of that that was that had been done. I think she she was in a great place because by then, you know, she was really thrilled by what all the different departments had, had brought to her world and and made it real. Um, yeah. So when I got to meet her, we were uh, we were doing the sort of sand, sand skiff stuff, uh, you know, on the stages um, yeah. in, um, in Budapest, where uh, you know we were, we were doing all the fun stuff. We were fighting Volkers and flying around the boat and and uh, and figuring out, you know, ultimately how much that all, all was going to cost. Because on that sand skiff sequence in in the last episode, just about every single shot is a visual effect shot. So we were. Yeah. Um, we we were we we'd done a lot of work um, trying to figure out a, a big sort of a, a previs of that sequence um, because we knew that it had to be budgeted carefully because it wasn't just every shot cost extra money because of the visual effects involved because we were in mm. the fog. So, so that's when, that's when I and that's when I met me, and she yeah. was lovely and very excited, and I bet she's <laughs> even more excited now because the show has been so internationally successful. Well, that, yeah, that's the thing. It's been a massive success, like worldwide. So I'm, I'm in, I live in France now. I'm, I'm out here in France, and I, you, you see it, you, you see it uh, advertised in a lot of places. And actually, this is the interesting right. thing about about your shows is that I think I've seen your shows advertised 
in France and Italy more than any other Netflix show. So the Umbrella Academy, when that came out, that was everywhere here. And it's 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 been a big hit on, on the platform on Netflix and it's like in the number one spots everywhere. But uh, so, I mean, I know you probably can't say anything, but um, season two? <laughs> yeah, you're right, I can't say anything. <laughs> I thought I thought so, <laughs> but um, uh, things are looking can, good. Let's, I think let's celebrate that uh, it's been um, so successful in just about every territory, yeah. uh, on on a net on a on a net on a platform that that really uh, you know knows how to tell these kind of stories and and yeah. in a in a in a unique way across so many different countries. Um, uh, and it's great as a filmmaker to know that so many millions of people are going to enjoy the work that that you've made it's uh, it, it's really thrilling occasionally i i will watch uh, one of those reactions things on youtube you know yes. when uh, you get a, a, an interesting a couple whether from eastern europe or from texas will sit and and, and watch the episode that you've done and mm. um and uh because obviously you know i don't i don't get to sit in front of an audience especially in covid it's it's quite rewarding to watch their reaction and see their enthusiasm as as the episode plays out. So um, uh, I, I'm annoyed. I, sh I should have done a I should have done a reaction video to the last episode. That's uh, well, that, uh, next, <laughs> next time I should have done that. But uh, one one of the things is that that I've always I think I asked you this last time about mm. uh, the Umbrella Academy. But I tend yeah. to like to know. I'm there's always a favorite moment. I think anyway. I mean I've I've been on a couple of sets. I've done some very bad uh, and amateur acting and uh, there's always a scene that that kind of stands kind of stays with you was there a scene for you over these two episodes that that you really enjoyed filming and that you really remember that and you're proud of in particular uh, in, uh, in shadow and bone um, yes yeah yeah I, I think um i think the stuff in the permafrost where where alina finds the stag um mm. was was an interesting thing to figure out because some of it some of it is of you know, some of it's obviously a lot of CG, bringing the stag to life. But we, we built this extraordinary set on the soundstage, and it, where it could really snow. Yeah. Um, or, or, I mean, in terms of special effects. So we were like, you know, it was, it was. I mean, it was freezing in there anyway because we were sort of. I think we were January in in Budapest, but to be able to command it to snow and to have our actors walking around in there and a and a sort of pretend stag that wasn't there. Uh, it was it was fun and challenging to figure out. Um, I can imagine. Uh, so so that that was a highlight, but also just the simple two hander between um, um, between Ben and Jesse when we, we were doing mm. the sort of the sort of famous kind of Alina and, and Darkling kind of in, intimate sort of scenes together. You know when you get when you get to say when you hear them say some of the classic lines from the from the books. Yes, yeah. thrill because you know how that those moments what those moments will mean to the fans yeah and i you think uh, fans really appreciated that yeah but um, uh so what that, this is this is the second time sorry uh, sorry go 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 ahead uh no i was just saying it's, it's, it's a, often a combination between the the big scale stuff you get to do and and some of the toys and and mm. and the worlds and the effects that you're able to build and then and then you, and then it can be just simply two actors just doing kind of a killer scene brilliantly. Yeah, and that that Without scene, uh, I I know which one you're talking about. Is that is an incredible scene uh, between Ben and uh, I mean, this is the second time you worked with Ben Barnes, right? Isn't it? Didn't you yeah. work with him on The Punisher? 
yeah, yeah. We, I did uh, two seasons of the Punisher. In fact, um, yeah, yeah, I did his very last scene. Oh, okay. Well, hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed that like, that character can return in some form or another. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen with the Punisher? But it's, yeah. it's just really nice to see Ben Ben Barnes back here. Uh, back in stuff because there's a, a while before he did the Punisher that it was uh you know he I don't know why it happens I think with with people's careers he was in um was it, he was Prince Caspian was his big role and it's just really nice to see him return and I can imagine I mean I, t I spoke asked about the cast before it sounds like they're a, a lot of fun to work yeah. with which is good to hear yeah um, you remember Ben had a pretty ju juicy role in Westworld though if you remember yes he did yes you're right and uh what okay I know you probably are, are you involved in you probably can't say this but in an umbrella academy season three because that has I'm... been announced yes uh, that's why you're here okay so you are you are involved in, in season three yeah i and... have been involved in it since um uh you know last year and and i'm here to do some more on it oh brilliant that's wonderful news because uh i mean i can imagine this is a question i wanted to ask you but what's it like having to film a show Light Shadow and Bone and Light Umbrella Academy, uh, when you're in the midst of a global pandemic, that must be yeah. incredibly tough. Yeah, it's it, it's um, yeah, it has been tough and it continues to be tough, um, particularly in Ontario. I mean, all over the world, everyone's still you know doing all the protocols. Mm. So um, you know, there's the quarantine, which is tough, just being isolated for the, for two weeks when you kind of fly into a country. Um, and there's, there's a limit to how much prep you can do remotely, but you can do some. Um, yeah. and, um, and then obviously there's regular testing. There's, you know, um, in-person prep is weird because even though everyone's in the building, you still don't all meet together for big, um, yeah. uh, for big meetings. You know, stunt rehearsals, you do, you do, everyone's tested, but you do it all with masks. You know, all the rehearsals are done with masks and, and until you know you really shoot, I mean, cast are allowed to come on without masks um, to block on the set. And I don't know if you've been reading, but there's a, there's a system called the zone system, and we try and keep the flow of um, different levels of, of of people in the department away from each other, so that the actors are very much protected. Okay. Um, you know, PPE, uh, you know, face masks, masks, yeah. and social distancing, and and you know. When you go on the scouts on buses, it's not obviously you can only have a limited amount of people on buses, and yeah, yeah, it's a it's a whole bunch of things. But I I, I can't. I mean, our crew have been so in, incredibly kind of patient and understanding, mm. and um, and uh, what's great is that you know what's ending up on the screen is some of the best work we've ever done. Well, that's what I was going to say. In the midst of this kind of pandemic and all this uh, this hard, well, these difficulties, these barriers that are thrown in front of you netflix in particular is still producing incredible content probably some of the best content they've produced in a long time so we've got like shadow and bone that's just come out but it's been a massive year for for netflix in particular like i mean i don't know if you've watched one of my like apart from shadow and bone of course but another show that came out on netflix this year was a french show called lupin which uh is uh is doing really well bridgerton did really well so and the quality is really, really high. So honestly, yeah, in, I think in, the... fairness, in fairness, Ed, so much of that was not made in COVID. Uh, yes, because that is true. That's a lot of product from 2019. Mm. Um, so, um, but uh, it still stands true. I, I, I don't think um, people have allowed the quality to drop in any way. Yeah. Um, sometimes I think 
some shows have had to scale back, you know, the amount of people that they have in scenes. And, um, you know, that, so there are sometimes limits about how, how many extras you can have and things like that. But, um, but, but it'll be interesting, won't it, when uh, in the future to look back on, on the shows that were made during that year to see if there's any any obvious or very apparent kind of change in, in the quality of, of the shows or the, or the sort of scale of the production. Yeah. I mean, hope. Well, I mean, the first show, I suppose, Shadow and Bone was was it not made during the during the pandemic? Was it just before? no? It was made just before it went in. As we okay. as we flew out at the end of um, end of February, yeah. um, there there wasn't any COVID in in Budapest yet, and we were warned as we got on the plane that perhaps we should wipe you know wipe stuff down. But we weren't shooting mm. within COVID. We so we were done. First, by- yeah. So the first kind of for you it was uh umbrella academy season three season three was it where yeah. yeah and then i suppose we're gonna have we're gonna i mean i i'm pretty sure season three is gonna be pretty amazing i suppose the big the other big netflix production is the witcher season two so that's that's uh one that was made in covid and there were a lot of i think a lot of delays on that on that production in particular because of covid so yeah. I mean, I, I honestly tend to think that in the face of adversity, you t- often tend to see some of the best work come out. So hopefully, hopefully that will be the case with all of these things. But I was just saying that throughout a, a year, that's you know, that you're right. It was a lot of the stuff was made before COVID. So we're gonna we're gonna wait and see. But I'm pretty sure it's going to be fantastic. One thing yeah, I wanted to do. One thing I wanted to do was um, bring in my producer, James, because we've got some questions for you that we could do kind of quick fire questions. I was thinking that'd be quite fun to do. Welcome back, James. Hey, Jeremy. Thank you. Sorry, I've been I've been bugging Edward behind the scenes. So because I've, I've been digging <laughs> your answers a lot. Um, my mom used to wake me up at one in the morning to watch like Peter Sellers, The Party and Monty Python, Holy Grail and Lawrence of Arabia and stuff like that. So that really resonated with me. Um, I just. Uh, wanted to ask you a question. Uh, what are your so your do you have a f- couple favorite directors that really influenced you? Like you, you mentioned Star Wars. So um. yeah, I mean, I I think that um, that sort of intelligent genre film to 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 uh, to blockbuster that the movie brats kind of stumbled across and and developed during the sort of you know late seventies and eighties have always been one of my sort of favorite you know periods in in film history. You know how they and I and I think actually that's I think that's what I really like, I like intelligent genre, mm. you know, and, and, you know, smart, high concept stories is what I'm really drawn to. Right. You know, can you, can you uh, give me an example? Um, well, in terms of what, who was, who was in that, who was in that, um, I mean, obviously, you know, Spielberg and, Sco- and Scorsese. Scorsese and, and, but and, what, and, what, what one stands out to you? Like what if you had to pick one to name the brat pack, uh, what what one would stand out to you? I wouldn't say one. I would say I. I mean, I, I was particularly a big fan of John Carpenter and Halloween when oh. I was uh, when I was a teenager. So much so that I made a um, a little super eight version of twenty minutes of it. Twenty minutes of it, uh, oh, starring starring my, my brother's girlfriend, um, <laughs> and uh, involved. Um, uh, the Michael Myers t- uh, character tearing the head off of my small terrier, um, <laughs> oh and I actually made, I, I made the prosthetic head. I was quite pleased about that. But I'll never forget the first time I, you know, I, I saw that. Um, and uh, I think Close Encounters had a really mm-hmm. profound effect on me as well, in terms of how sort of mysterious and how layered that was, and how grounded the human story was. 
and then okay. how and how extraordinary the the, uh, the visuals were. And what, um, what, a, what about directors that are current right now? Do you have any um, that you look up well. to? Yeah, I think um, you know, Alfonso Cuaron, um, thinking about the last sort of half an hour or 40 minutes of Children of Men just being mm. just like unbelievably intense virtuoso, like, um, you know, just baffling um, yeah. kind of craft. Uh would be would be a hero. I, I love how um, stylish uh, somebody like Damon Chazelle is for something like Whiplash. Is yeah, a, yeah. is a, is a oh, big, yeah. big favorite of mine. Um, those those would stand out. Um, I mean, I think you know what what John Krasinski does in in a Quiet Place is pretty extraordinary as well. I can't wait to see what yeah. it comes out. Maybe apart from you know, I think maybe the he shows too much monster and it is, it's to perhaps, <laughs> you know, obviously CG, but I think still the, the mood that he's able to build in mm. that I think was, was great. Um, Edgar, Wright I'm a big fan of as well, obviously in terms of, I, I look forward to seeing the sort of serious straight drama that he does one day, but I, you know, mm, you can't help yeah. but be by his virtuoso kind of, you know, comedy style and just how you know delightful and stylish and smart all that stuff is yeah his yeah, new trailer next, his new trailer just dropped yeah sorry edward yeah, yeah gonna... last night in soho is gonna is gonna come out soon so that's gonna be an interesting one to watch yeah uh, I, I think we have a few <laughs> i suppose well, i think this is a question that james probably wants to ask but if there was a, a franchise i'm gonna ask it anyway if there was a franchise uh, you'd like to be involved with would it, which one would it be? Star Wars, Alien, Star Trek, the MCU, or the DCEU? It would have to be Star Wars. Yeah, I thought so. Because <laughs> I'm not sure if you know this, James, but um, uh, <laughs> Jeremy, I used to... I can I, I'm not sure if I could say this. What's that? That you used to live uh, quite close to Jon Favreau. <laughs> I did, yeah. Yeah, in our rented house. Uh, we had this rented house in Santa Monica. He used to be my neighbor, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's he's awesome. doing uh, doing a lot of cool Star Wars stuff. I suppose the Mandalorian yeah. might be something you'd like to get involved. Yeah, I would, with. I would, I would, uh, I, I would just love to get just to scratch that itch to say that I've been able to kind of you know mess around in that world for a bit. I would love that. Maybe a oh, bit they of should a... bring you over. Yeah, yeah. They, should, they should get you over. The Book of Definitely. Boba Fett. Yeah, I need to. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, I'm having a good time in the Netflix world at the moment. But um, yeah, that's it's something I would love to do. I would, uh, I would love to get involved can, in that. Can you, um, can you uh, kind of tell me um, what your creative process is when you come onto a show to direct a couple episodes, as opposed, like obviously you're doing a lot of pre-production on Umbrella Academy three and stuff, but how do you get your mindset to come into this world that other people have set up? Yeah, right? so and, yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I have to do that a lot. You just have to immerse yourself into the world. There's no other way. You know, I think you just have to. Um, watch as much stuff as they'll let you, you know, because they, you know, and, and they're really good about it when they come in. You just say, I need to see the pilot and then see all the episodes. I don't care what state they're in because they're obviously in different, you know, process of different mm. um, stages of being edited. So you, you just have to sort of under see what they're doing and, and what's really working and, and maybe even what's not. The showrunners quite, or some of the producers or other or other directors are quite kind of candid about what's working and what isn't and what's, what's really kind of successful for the show. And I think you want to try and amplify that and jump mm. on that 
you know and it's i think you just have to put your sort of team hat on really you have to realize you're a team of directors who are going to give life to the you know what's effectively a sort of four or five movie stretch right. of story yeah and i think it's it's quite fun to be a, a kind of team of directors around around the project because everyone's got you know i mean a, a good showrunner will, will cast a director um in terms of episodic depending what's what's in in the show mm. you know um I, because i've done quite a lot of big scale stuff i tend to get the big ones um mm. just because i've sort of kind of proven track record of being able to handle them within the time and the, and the resources so yeah i think it's just about immersing yourself really understanding what you've got um getting to know the cast trying to rehearse as much as you can so that you you sort of very quickly build up some trust and a good working relationship with them oh yeah that's yeah. got to be tricky to accelerate that process as soon as you come in yeah, and, and, and you know even if they're um you know sort of you know seven episodes or six episodes in they they all still want to rehearse on weekends they they because they know how limited time is on the day and anything that can make them better mm. or make the mm. the scenes or the story is worth you know meeting on a weekend or something um, right yeah you never fix yeah. it in post right so well you know <laughs> you always fix it in post what I know. Yeah, that that uh, prep is where you make the show um, yeah. sh the shoot is where you mess it up and pr prep is where you fix what you know yeah. <laughs> okay, I have uh, I got one last question then I'll leave you to yeah. be. Um do you have um a passion project that you're working on behind the scenes that you'd want to get out in the future? And if not, do you have like one that you like like any property it doesn't have to be a huge franchise that you would want to tackle? Yeah, well I was thinking about this. Like, I thought, well, I'm not gonna tell you. Because, no, you can't uh, tell me. But I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to tell you because people will go, "Oh, that's a good idea." Mm. Um, uh, let's let's jump on that. And before you realize, the book that you want, the rights have gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was thinking about what would be amusing to talk about, and I think, well, that, that's, let's do a reboot of uh, Children of the Stones, Ooh. <laughs> which would be a, 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 a lesser-known ITV yeah. kids drama about a bunch of yeah, spooky. I, do you remember that? I used to watch that oh, as a yeah. kid. So right. I, I that would be really good. Yeah, see now oh, it's blown. Really, really now it's out there. It's blown. Yeah, so it's blown up now. Run with it. I wonder who has the rights to that. I want I bet it's still ITV, wouldn't it? No. no. That used, that used yeah, probably. That used to scare yeah. the shit out of me and it it had um I think it was it had um it had Blake in it from Blake 7. Yes. Yes, it did. And this is something because most of my audience is american they have no i started talking about blake seven once and no one knew what i was talking about they thought and i was like it's kind of like a spoof of like star trek an english spoof it's, it's brilliant blake yeah. seven it's so with, good. with with the worst props and yes and the worst <laughs> special effects yeah um, it was like okay. it was kind of on the same time as doctor who uh like it was kind of a bit it was a bit later than doctor who wasn't it blake seven it started later and yeah. uh, it was just such a such a weird show. I remember watching it as a kid, and I used to watch Doctor Who alongside it. And I was like, "This is very strange." Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you remember the name of the ship? No, I can't. Not not at the top of my head. I think it was I called. The, I think it was called the Liberator. The Liberator. Uh, yeah, oh, such a good show. That makes me nostalgic. <laughs> um, so maybe maybe that or or surely Logan's Run needs a kick, right? Mm, yes. Yeah. You you, met, you mentioned that last time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that must, that, that that must be the same. Yeah, I think so, that I means, mean, uh, especially 
especially with the news that they're making a Highlander reboot. They got, I think they've got to do a, a Logan's Run reboot as well. That'd be pretty cool. I think it's been in the works, actually. Yeah, I think people have tried it. Do you yeah. remember that strange, that rather strange moment in the feature film where um, uh, they get into this freezing cave? Uh, is it, uh, yes. is it just Jenny, Jenny Agatha and uh, Susanna York? Yes. And Michael York. Sorry, yeah. Sorry, I, I can't remember the names. Fro Freudian wishful thinking is sitting yeah. in there. <laughs> <laughs> but do you remember that, like, I think she says something like, Quick, take off our clothes. They may they'll freeze on yeah. us or like that. Yes, that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> there's actually what? there's actually a, there's a scene a little bit like that in uh, Shadow and Bone. Actually, there's a yes. like a take off oh, your yeah. clothes oh, moment. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, yeah. Good, good to tie it back to that. Bring it back. Uh, <laughs> well, gonna, I think I think it, is I'm is that James? Are you done with your questions? <laughs> uh, just one more. Um, is there a yeah. is there a production team that you'd really want to work with in the future, or a, a specific actor or actress? Um, oh God, there's loads. Um, I think Elizabeth Olsen's pretty amazing, isn't she? Mm. Yes, yeah, she is. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah, she's very exciting and and you know really coming into interesting stuff at the moment. Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow, I think she's just great. I'd love to work with her. Um, yeah, uh, God, so many and 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 production team. We're talking about teams. I mean, um, uh. You know, I, it was so great to, talk, to work with the Stranger Things producers on Shadow and Bone. They're, mm -hmm. they're a great gang. I'd, I'd yeah. like to do. More, I'd like to do more with them. Um, you know, Dan Cohen so and, and Dan Levine, Sean Levy's company. Um, nice. I, I, I mean, just because I, I I like what they do. Yeah. You know, I love Shadow and Bone, Stranger Things, and and some of the other shows. So they're clearly doing great things. So like they're very fun. good at the genre, genre stuff, aren't they? Um, Smart, intelligent, really character based and and grounded. Yeah. Funny, clever, witty drama, and, and 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 genre, I think, is what they do really well. So yeah, um, great. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. thanks for putting up with me, Jeremy. I appreciate it. Stay <laughs> safe right. out there. Yeah. Take care. You too. And hopefully, you get to go to Kensington Market once uh, this pandemic finishes in twenty years. So. Well, um, yeah. I'll, I mean, I'm I'm back here again in about five weeks, actually. So I've got to do. I'm going to be doing the. Um, the finale of uh, Lock and Key. Oh, nice. For, uh, for um, Meredith and Carlton Coos. So uh, I've got to do one last quarantine. I can't believe it. In Well, hopefully not. Maybe I'll get a, va maybe I'll get a, um, a vaccine passport this time. So keep, let's keep our fingers crossed. So fingers crossed. That, that's next. So okay. hopefully by Thanks. then our numbers will be better. Awesome. Thanks, James. Take care. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I suppose one last question before we let you go. Uh, I, I, you kind of mentioned it there, but what's next for you? Yeah, well, I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to, um, I'm going to, um, I've got to do about a week's worth of um, additional photography for um, Umbrella Academy, and then I'm going to take a little vacation with my, with my family, and then I'll return to do the the ending of season three of Lock and Key. Brilliant, wonderful. Lock and um, Key first season so is brilliant, by the way. I'm really excited for season two. Yeah, I know. Season two, I mean, you know, um, I, I hope I get to see it before I start shooting the finale of three. Yeah. Um, <laughs> talking about what you need to do to get, to get your head around the show. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm quite sure when, when that arrives, but um, it must be soon. It must be soon. Did you meet Joe Hill, talking of Lock and Key? I, I haven't met Joe, but I've worked on, an, I worked on Nosferatu. Yes. With, yeah. um, 
uh, of for AMC, and uh, so I'm I'm very familiar with what he cares about and his world, and obviously really love the first season of, of Lock and Key. Um, yeah. I, I I can't I would imagine he'll probably be around for for the, for for season three. So um, maybe we'll he often he often likes a little cameo, doesn't he, Joe Hill? He does, yeah. cameo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, one thing I wanted to ask you before I let you go, uh, which yeah. I, I swear I will do, you you don't you don't cameo in your in your stuff, do you? No, because you got a, no. I th- I was wondering why not because you said you mentioned it last time we spoke and you were like you know I started off in front of the camera. Has there ever been a, a you thought oh this might be quite interesting for me to do um, acting wise? Yeah, well do you remember also I said I, I, I'm actually not very good, so maybe that's a good reason. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I I'm sure that's I not true. I wasn't successful getting into drama school, so um, yeah, I uh-huh. think uh, I think I'll leave it to the people who are best in front of the camera, and uh, oh. I'll I'll stay where I am for the moment. But you've got me thinking there, Red. Who knows? Maybe that will change. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's a bit of a joke on this show that uh, that the <laughs> for some reason the viewers have tagged onto, and that's they want well they want me to play Captain Britain. So hopefully one day. We can do that. I can't believe I've got that into the end of this this show as well. <laughs> it's something that I always go on about. Play Captain Britain. Yeah, play Captain Britain. That's a thing on our live shows that seems to come up a lot for some reason. I think it's just the accent. They think, oh, he's got an English accent. <laughs> you should play Captain Britain. <laughs> well, when you do, please send me the link. I will do. I, I will do. Probably in an am- amateur film, a fan film, maybe. Maybe James might do that for us. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for agreeing to do Pleasure. this. It was great All talking right, to you. No worries. Pleasure. Okay. Take care.